Hello and welcome to the Circuit Python Weekly Meeting for July 6th, 2020. Uh, my name is Scott and I am paid by Adafruit to work full time on Circuit Python. Circuit Python is an easy to use version of Python designed for microcontrollers, uh, which are tiny computers that are really inexpensive and easy to use. Um, this is our community meeting. We do it every week on the Adafruit Discord server, which you can join by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. Uh, that will get you in there, and everybody's welcome to join. The meeting regularly happens at Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, in the CircuitPython voice channel. Uh, and there is a link to a, uh, or we have an iCalendar file that you can use to see if it does get shifted. Um, if Monday is a US holiday, we'll typically shift the meeting uh, along with that. Um, this meeting is in five parts. Uh, the first part is community news, where we go over a few things happening uh, online uh, with CircuitPython. And that's thanks to Anne, uh, who does the newsletter. And we'll talk about that in more detail in a bit. Uh, after community news, we do state of CircuitPython libraries in Blinka, which is an, uh, a statistics view, an objective view of the health of the project meant to ground us when we're, when we're making decisions. Um, <laughs> the chat is talking about wasps because we were talking about that before uh, the meeting got started. Uh, after the stats overview, we have hug reports, and this is the first of two uh, round robin sections that we do. Uh, round robin means that we give everybody a chance in the voice chat to say uh, something. If you don't want to speak up, but you have a message to tell people, you can uh, be text only and drop anything you'd like me to read in the hug report section under your username. We go alphabetical by username, uh, but starting with the person who's hosting. And then for today, that's me. Um, and so I'll start and then we'll loop around. If you have uh, don't want to contribute, you're just listening and just let us know that you're lurking. And uh, <laughs> I just got that. Um, <laughs> Where did derail me with the B emoji? Um, let us know you're, lurk you're lurking and we'll skip right by you. No problem. Happy to have you here. Uh, after that, we have status updates, which is... Uh, Done as a round robin as well. Wait, did I say what hug reports was actually? I don't think so. So hug reports, when we do the round robin, <laughs> the goal is to uh, take a minute or two to thank folks for the cool things and nice things that they've been doing. Uh, basically taking the time to realize the, the awesome people in our community. Uh, status updates, the next section is also round robin, but it's a minute or two to talk about what you've been working on or what you plan on working on in the coming week. As a way for us to keep track of everything that's happening within the community and give tips and tricks uh, to other folks. Um, after status updates, we have In the Weeds, which is our final section. And this is a uh, free-for-all section, uh, well, free-form section, I guess, where uh, you, if you have a topic that you'd like to discuss, it can be a long, deep discussion that's totally cool. Um, put your name and the topic in the in the weeds section in the notes doc, and we'll cover that as we go. So, um, yeah, that's the structure of the meeting. Uh, I should note that the meeting is recorded, so you, uh, all of the voice audio coming in 
uh, is recorded on my end and the text in the CircuitPython text channel uh, is captured as a screen, screen cap as well. So just be aware of that. Uh, it gets posted on YouTube, which is uh, youtube.com slash Adafruit. Uh, you can find it there. And you can go back to 2017 when we started having this, these meetings uh, and checking those out. Uh, we also do have a notes doc. I've alluded to the notes doc already. Um, it's in the pinned section of the CircuitPython text channel if you want to pull it up. And it also is uh, linked to from uh, the videos and stuff. And the videos are linked from the notes doc as well uh, if you're watching this later. Uh, and the notes will include time codes if you want to skip around in the video. Okay, with that, uh, let me take a time code and we'll get going. So for community news, the first thing we have here is uh, Python on the Seed Studio Wio terminal, uh, which is a cool board uh, from Seed Studio that has a like a nice case and a screen and stuff. And we now have a build a board definition for it. Um, I should say that uh, the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth chip is not supported in CircuitPython, so please be aware of that. Um, we have a pull request out for native display support, but that's not uh, in as well. So it's early, but it's it's super neat. Um, the text here says, The Wheel Terminal, an all-in-one microcontroller development kit, which includes sensors, buttons, growth connectors, and a screen, is now officially in supported in CircuitPython. Uh, and that's the board itself, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's it. And Jeff, I think, posted the links. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, next up, CircuitPython timecode. CircuitPython timecode. Um, next up, CircuitPython 6.0 Alpha 1 uh, was released last week. Um, took a little while, which I guess I should talk about later. Uh, this is the first alpha release of CircuitPython 6. It is renumbered version of 5.4 because I squared C slave module and class have been renamed to I squared C peripheral. So heads up there if you, uh, I don't think many people use I squared C slave, but just be aware that the, the names changed. Uh, and it's an alpha because we may actually uh, remove or change a few other things, um, which should, we should finish up pretty quick here. So just keep an eye on the release notes. I added a section for things that have changed since 5X. Um, I think most of the things that we're going to remove going forwards are just uh, stuff we warned we would remove in 6. And we, so I think we just need to go in and, and actually do that. Um, otherwise, it's basically 5.4. Uh, it's just that we wanted to rename stuff, so we also renumbered it. All right, next up. Uh, CircuitPython on a watch. Uh, I believe this is Sedacious's watch. Um, showed uh, CircuitPython running on this prototype, which is awesome. Um, it's based on the Open Hardware Summit 2020 badge, which everyone will get eventually, but I think that they're stuck at somebody's uh, office in NYU that they haven't been able to go into. So uh, we'll get those at some point, and they'll run CircuitPython, and it'll be awesome. Uh, next up... SciPy 2020, uh, the 19th Annual Scientific Computing with Python Conference, is a virtual conference being held July 6th. That's today, I believe. Yep, through the 12th, uh, 2020. The annual SciPy Conference brings together over 900 participants from industry, academia, and government to showcase their latest projects, learn from skilled users and developers, and collaborate on code development. The full program will consist of five days of tutorials and talks, in two days of developer sprints, uh, and there's a link to the event 
Thank you, Jeff, for posting it. Uh, next up, uh, we have the Python resource Humble Bundle. Uh, Humble Bundle is offering a pay-what-you-want offer for Python learning texts. It's $1,400 worth of materials. A portion of each sale goes to the Python Software Foundation. So get a copy of a lot of uh, neat python -y things and support the PSF at the same time, which is neat. Uh, for our Adafruit update, uh, Adafruit is shipping. Uh, we are uh, getting more stuff in stock. So uh, just a friendly reminder that most of CircuitPython's uh, development, at least all the folks paid in this meeting, are uh, paid by Adafruit. And so shopping with Adafruit directly supports CircuitPython, uh, even if the board itself is not on it. So, or... Remember, we support boards that are not Adafruit boards as well. So please purchase stuff from Adafruit. Uh, last up, uh, as always, a huge thank you to Anne for putting the newsletter together. Uh, the newsletter is a uh, email newsletter that goes out every Tuesday morning uh, with all the different things uh, <laughs> surrounding Python and CircuitPython and MicroPython that, that Anne and others find on the internet. So if you find stuff uh, for CircuitPython and are doing cool projects that you'd love to see featured in an email that goes out to a few thousand folks, um, the draft is always done publicly uh, on GitHub under the CircuitPython weekly newsletter uh, repo. And there's a link in the notes there if you have stuff you want to contribute. Uh, feel free to contribute every week. Uh, we're always looking for cool stuff. All right, that is community news. Now we're going to move on to the state of CircuitPython libraries in Blinka. Uh, as I said earlier, this is kind of a statistics uh, objective view of the health of the project. Um, primarily what we're looking for is like uh, interactions and the number of people uh, interacting with CircuitPython in all the different areas. So first, uh, let's talk numbers overall. Um, overall, we had 21 pull requests merged from 15 different authors, which is awesome. Um, some new folks that I don't recognize in this list are Ari Vertigo, which it, maybe Katni saw last week, uh, Fig1010, Unid, and W Tamora are all new folks, so thank you to them. Uh, we had 10 reviewers, which is awesome, and that number is growing, so thank you, everyone. Uh, as we point out every week, uh, the number of reviewers is really what allows us to scale on the number of authors, so um, we're always looking looking for people to level up and help us review. So uh, thank you to everybody there for being a reviewer. Issues-wise, we had 25 closed issues by nine people, 17 opens by 16 people. So a lot of people involved or more people involved and we're net down eight issues, which is great. Um, and overall, uh, I would say that we're uh, starting to pick up on libraries again because we're starting to produce more uh, new sensors, which is great. Um, on the Blinka side, we continue to uh, see display I.O. mature, which is awesome. And on the core CircuitPython side, obviously, we've made the switch to 6.0. Um, we've concluded the discussions about deprecating master and slave terminology, which is awesome. And uh, I think we, we ended up on really good names. So thank you to everybody who contributed to that. And I think we're not too far from a stable 6.0 release. Um, Jeff is kind of the person on the hook for that, uh, making things a bit quicker, which is going to be awesome. So no pressure, Jeff. <laughs> um, and with that, uh, I'll let me talk about the core specifically, and then I'll hand it off to 
um, Katni and Melissa for the other two portions. Um, for the core, we had five pull requests merged from seven different authors. Um, Unid, W. Tomorrow, and Arya Vertigo are new uh, authors that I recognize there. And the way this happens actually is that um, commits can be attributed to two people, like the person that brought it in and the, or the original author. So that's how you get more authors than, than pull requests. And then on the reviewer side, we had three reviewers. So thank you to those folks. And Jeff points out that a lot of the new authors are contributing translations through, through WebLate. So uh, Jeff, thanks for setting that up. And thank you to all the new folks coming in and helping bring CircuitPython to your own language. All right, uh, we have 15 open pull requests where the oldest is open has been open 79 days. Uh, it doesn't look too bad, and uh, most of them are new, so thank you to everybody there. Um, Issues-wise, we had three closed issues by three people and six opened by six people, so we're net positive, which ideally we would not be, but we are, we are kind of like tending to grow. Um, we have 319 total open issues, so... Um, if you want to start contributing, please take a look at those. A lot of those, actually 252 of those are marked long-term, which are ones that are not a high priority for us. Um, we still have 5X features and bug fixes as well, which would be good to get um, shuffled around and reprioritized now that we're focused on 6.0. And we also have five issues not assigned to Milestone. So if you want to help with that, uh, we do actually have a way to give just uh, kind of like triage permissions on the repo. So uh, if you're interested in helping uh, go through issues and organizing them, that would be awesome because uh, I'm certainly not good enough about going through it. And with that, let's kick it over to Katni for the libraries. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, all of the CircuitPython libraries uh, information combined into one. And so across all the libraries, we had 14 pull requests merged. Uh, the oldest was a week old, and a bunch of them were less than a day, which is excellent, uh, by eight authors and, amazingly, nine reviewers. So that's great that we're seeing now more reviewers than uh, authors even, um, which is excellent because, like you said, the more reviewers we have, the more authors we can support. So I'm perfectly happy to see those numbers swapped. Uh, leaving us with 36 open pull requests. We had 21 issues closed by six people and 11 open by 11 people, uh, leaving us with 166 open issues. All of this information is available on circuitpython.org contributing. So if you're looking to get started contributing and you don't know where to start, uh, that's an excellent place to go. It has the all the open um, PRs, all the open issues, and um, a list of library infrastructure issues as well. Uh, and all a list of in the issues you can sort them by um, label and so you could sort for good first issue if you're just getting started or bug or enhancement if you are looking for something more complicated to do um, find something that interests you and take a look at it um, we have a guide on getting started with git and github uh, as well as the fact that we're always available to help with um, getting started with that sort of thing so don't let any of that stop you uh, in terms of library updates in the last seven days, we had one new library, the BH1750, and a number of updated libraries that I will not read through. And that's where we are with the libraries. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katni. All right. Next up, we have Blinka updates from Maker Melissa. 
Hello, Sablinka is our CircuitPython compatibility layer for Raspberry Pi and other single board computers. And this week we had two pull requests merged by two authors and two reviewers. Um, there are there is one open pull request. Uh, I believe that's because it was failing the checks. And there uh, is one. There was one closed issue by one person and zero open by zero people, leaving a net of twenty four open issues. There are were, <clears throat> there have been two thousand six hundred and fifty six Pi PI downloads in the last week. We are currently supporting fifty two boards. Awesome. Thank you, Melissa. All right, next up we have the hug reports section of this. Uh, just a quick thing, I think we have, I think everybody knows the drill here. But the idea is that we go in a circle or, or loop around and give everybody a chance to speak. Let us know if you're text only or lurking uh, so that I don't like wait for you to speak up. Anyway, so uh, I will start and then we'll go to TG Techie. So for myself, uh, thanks to Obra from Keyboardio for the WeChat advice and also helping me get uh, on WeChat. Uh, thanks to Elaine from Seed for helping me get the group chat going. I was like, I don't know how to use this. <laughs> uh, so she helped me out with that, which is awesome. Uh, Anson He97 uh, from Seed as well has been working on the WeO terminal support. So hug report to them. Um, hard report to Jerry, David, G, Foamy Guy, Dan H, and Anecdata for helping folks on Discord. It's always awesome to see uh, folks come here and get the information they need, which is great. Um, and uh, lastly, a huge hug report to Dave Putz, uh, again, Dave P in the voice chat, again, for diving deep into the real-time clock on the SAMD21 that uh, looks to be the root cause for why PulseIn's really been having a lot of problems. So uh, really cool stuff. Thanks, Dave, for digging into that. And uh, I saw that there's a PR, so I'm excited to, to take a look. And with that, let's go to TG Techie. As always, a hug to the community for being so opening and welcoming. Um, a hug to Tanu for your live streams that are very educational and a hug to everyone who's been working on 6.0. All right. Thank you, TG Techie. All right, I think Anecdata is lurking. Yeah, these margins are throwing me off. The notes doc had margins changed. Um, Anecdata says, group hug and a hug report to Jerry N for being a good sounding board as we were each working on testing the ESP32 S2. Uh, whoa. <laughs> now the margins are better and now they're everything shuffled again good good okay um and b is lurking so we'll go to brent just a group hug this week all right thanks brent all right next up we have seager over who's also uh text only and says hug to the community and team and with that we'll go to charles I have a hug. I I have a hug report for you, Tanu. Uh, I really have been enjoying those uh, deep dives because I get to see really what goes into creating a new board, a new board, uh, getting a new board to function. Yeah, thank you. And, 
and also a group hug to everybody else for 6.0. I'm, I'm going to try it on one, a couple of my board, uh, Grand Central and a uh, couple of uh, uh, circuit uh, playground uh, expresses. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. All right, next up we have Dan. Uh, this week, just a group hug in an expanded way that uh, I really appreciate the whole community that is, as I said, an active participant in our software development that really is helpful. People are constantly testing and trying things and reporting things and contributing fixes. Uh, it's really makes my life a lot easier and more productive and more fun in many ways. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Dan. All right, Dave is lurking, and now we have notes from David Glad. David says, uh, "Hug report to Foamy Guy for triggering uh, the conversation on compiling CircuitPython on the Pi. Hug report to Jerry N for providing the toolchain, and Dan H for the Learn Guide." And next up, we have Fede Two, who is also text only, so I will read off. Says, uh, hug report to Tan Newt for starting to revise the Wi Fi related libraries. It's long overdue. Uh, to Ann B and Katney for being super helpful on the translation guides. And to the Weblit project and for Adafruit for paying the, the hosting. I hope to get Spanish at 100% before the 6.0 release. Awesome. That would be great. And next up, we have Foamy Guy. All right. Uh, this week, I would like to give a hug report to KJ. W for finding an issue with display text, um, as well as uh, to Kmatch98 for helping fix that issue. Um, uh, to Anecdata uh, helped me with some color conversion bitwise math. Um, bitwise is one of the things I've never been so great at, so I definitely really appreciated that over the weekend. Um, uh, Discord user PitchBright, um, I don't know if they came to this meeting or not. I think they might be new to the community, but uh, for patiently working through some troubleshooting with um, NeoPixels, I know that's uh, never fun when you want to make some blinking lights and it's not working. Um, so I appreciate them uh, going through that. And we actually found uh, the root cause of an issue there. So that was good. Um, to Maker Melissa for uh, all the work on Blinka and especially Display.io for Blinka. I've been playing with that a lot lately and uh, really enjoying uh, what I'm seeing there. And then lastly, um, to Chris Young uh, on the um, show and tell last week. Um, Chris Young showed a uh, example of wireless uh, gaming using LoRa, uh, like LoRa Featherwings, um, uh, running on Pi Gamers, uh, and I really thought that was a, a super cool um, idea and a really neat way to utilize those LoRa Featherwings. So I am uh, that inspired me to start the process of trying to bring that same thing uh, over to CircuitPython. That's nice. all I got for this week. Thanks, Foamy guy. All right, next up we have Higher Effect. It doesn't look like your mic's working. Anyone else hear him? I don't. All right, I'll just read it off. <laughs> yeah, uh, Higher Effect says group hug to everybody. Uh, next up we have text from Jason. Jason says, uh, hug report to Adafruit for the Ion NPI section last week featuring the Evo M51. Thank you. And next up, we have Jeff. 
Hello. I want to start off with a group hug um, and also thank Adafruit for being accommodating when I asked for time off at the last minute. Um, kind of realized that I've been going nonstop since December or something. Well, no, I had a, I had a vacation in, in uh, February, but had been going for a while without a break. And so I took a couple of days off last week. I want to thank Scott for getting the 6.0 Alpha out. And uh, as he points out, I'm on the hook for the major unfinished, barely started part. Um, thanks to our new translation contributors, Unid, who's been working on the Indonesian translation, and Rai Vertigo on the Dutch translation. And uh, I want to thank everybody who's participating in uh, discussions on issues and pull requests. We don't specifically count you up, but all that information you provide is valuable in moving our understanding of problems and their fixes forward. So it's a great way to help in the community when you can fill in that information that we need to go ahead and get something resolved or get a pull request merged. Uh, yeah, so that's what I got. Thanks, cool. Jeff. All right, next up is Jerry. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, let's see. Thanks to Scott for the bus IO support on ESP32. Uh, nice to have I squared C and SPI and uh, Anecdata for your help uh, this week also for trying to get things going. Uh, and uh, Dave P for the quick fix to the uh, Pulse I in, in for the SAMB21. That's uh, nice to have that back on the, online. And everybody who got, who worked you know hard to quickly get the terminology changes in to remove the use of the terms master and slave. Uh, you know, actions do speak loudly. So thank you. And uh, group hug to everybody. Awesome. Thanks, Jerry. Next up is Katni. All right. So I have a hug report to Fami Guy for providing so many PR reviews with thorough testing and comments and suggestions when needed. To Feta2 for translating my Key of Lime guide into Spanish, although the pun was apparently lost in translation. Uh, to Jeff for working towards running this meeting. Uh, to the team and community who uh, were involved in CircuitPython 6.0. Um, to everyone who's been consistently helping out on Discord. Uh, too many people to name, but it's great to see when questions are being asked, they're quickly being answered, um, especially when they're complicated and or end up requiring lengthy testing and that sort of thing. Thank you for sticking with it. Um, and to community moderators on Discord for continuing to keep our community welcoming and positive and providing, for providing ideas and suggestions to improve the community experience. Awesome. Thank you, Katni. All right, next up we have notes from Kinger North. Kinger North says, a big hug to Ann B for including me in the Python on Microcontrollers weekly newsletter. And a group hug for all of the community for continuing work in Discord and CircuitPython. All right, next up we have Maker Melissa. Hello. Uh, so I wanted to start out by giving a hug report to Foamy Guy, KMash98, and KJW for taking care of fixing up and testing the display text library. Uh, hug to Foamy Guy for testing and reviewing some of my PRs. Uh, to you, Scott and Dan, for taking care of CircuitPython.org and a group hug. All right. Mark and Mr. Certainly are lurking, so we'll go to Stargirl. Hello, man. Hi. So I want to get. What's up? Hold on, hold on. Zeus, we're in the middle of a meeting. Uh, we can get to you later. 
Oh. Go ahead, okay. Stargirl. No worries. Um, <laughs> cool. So first, I hug to Sean Himmel for his excellent blog post on how to do PWM on the SAN D21 using just registers. Um, that, that's a lot of fun um, for varying definitions of fun. Um, and everyone who worked on CircuitPython fixed that Um It's looking great. Awesome. Thanks, Stargirl. All right, Zeus, we're doing hug reports where we thank folks in the CircuitPython community for the work that they've been doing. Do you have anything to add? All right, we're going to do a round robin up here next as well. And uh, just let us know if you want to listen in and we'll skip over you. Okay, next up we have status updates, which is a chance for each of us to spend a minute or two uh, to talk about what we've been working on and what we plan on working on in the coming week. Um, I will start and then we'll go through the list. Uh, let us know if you're lurking uh, and if you just want to be text only, uh, let us know and we uh, I'll read it off for you. And note, also note that this meeting is recorded and published on YouTube at youtube.com slash Adafruit. Okay, and I will start. Uh, first, wait, time code. Always time code. Um, uh, ESP32-S2 bus IOs merged in and released in 6.0 alpha 1. Um, I'm currently in the middle of reworking Adafruit requests and ESP32 spy for smaller APIs and less memory use. Um, I created a WeChat account to better communicate with Chinese CircuitPython folks. So uh, if you know somebody who is in China and wants to be able to ask questions uh, with a little bit more speed than email or GitHub issues, uh, I'm happy to add folks on WeChat. Um, so thanks to the Seed folks for helping with that as well. Um, and one one to do list besides email or to do item besides email and reviews is to uh, add the six x library and bundle builds uh, so that people can match things up as well for that. And uh, I feel like there's something I'm forgetting, but I can't remember what it is. So let's go to TG Techie. So. Um... What I've been working on has been for a job. I have an internship at a military R&D place. And while we've mostly been using Rust, I was able to sneak some CircuitPython in and convince people that we should try, try it a little bit. So I was able to write a quick driver to interface with a chip that allows communication over a military standard protocol. And it was super easy in Python. It took only an hour or two to get up and running. Nice. So thank you, everyone. Ah, glad it's working. All right, next up we have. Oh, let me let me scroll up here. Anecdata and Anne are lurking, so let's go to Brent. Hi. Last week I moved. Um, I'm enjoying being able to walk around again and take bike rides. Um, and this week I'm working on looking at existing and maybe doing a new implementation for. Uh, handling protocol buffers on CircuitPython. Um, I want to be able to compile the interface design language, which is basically like the structure of the data that you're about to serialize, and then the type of data that you are serializing, and into Python code, which then you can drag and drop onto CircuitPy. 
And then there will be a parser as well for that. Man. And I want to see what's available. Man. Sorry. I don't know if this person can actually hear me or is even paying attention. Zeus, can you hear me? Now they're server muted. All right, let's keep going. All right, Charles, you're next. Okay. Okay. Um, well, basically, I the big thing for me this this week is going to be updating my uh, Raspberry Pi, the uh, the Raspberry Pi. Circuit Python and all my other uh, dozen and a half uh, Circuit Python boards to 6.0, so I can try it out and see if there's anything funny going on with uh, my existing projects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's super. That's super helpful. Thanks, Charles. All right. Next up, we have Dan. Okay, my main work has been continuing to work on re-implementing DLEIO, this time for HCI adapters, like um, in this case, the ESP32, which can talk the HCI protocol, which is a way of doing Bluetooth using a serial command interface. So there was, I started with some code from the Arduino BLE library, which was kind of minimal. And uh, I had to switch how it communicates with the UART over UART, but also it it didn't have a set of header files that it defined all the HCI commands. It just included some things that it needed. So after poking around and trying a few alternatives, I found that the Zephyr uh, HCI header files are Apache as opposed to LGPL, which is helpful. And I've been I've been rewriting the um, code I took from Arduino VLE to use those. Basically, I pretty much changing every line in, in the original file. So, uh, but that's almost done. And then I'll go back to uh, testing and then writing again. And the other thing uh, that I have to change is, in, um, is that another thing that happened is that we've been having issues with uh, Linux crashing when you do certain things on USB with a sort of Python board. Sometimes, it's if you reformat the file system, sometimes if you just reset, or sometimes even maybe if you unplug. And so after thinking that I figured that this was out, was it that this was a USB driver problem, I was directed to bring this up in the USB, um, the Linux USB uh, maintainers mailing list. So I did, and then I got two answers basically saying like, this is not our problem, and if you do things that are bad. Like if you accidentally format the file system underneath the things, we reserve the right to crash. So <laughs> I was just like, okay, uh, it's, they're not gonna, they, they think there's nothing to fix. I will be asking in, um, in the weeds for a couple more examples if people have any to see if I can come up with some examples where it really is only uh, the USB driver, but I think that I, I'm not going to get anywhere with getting this fixed, mm -hmm. unfortunately. 
I can ameliorate it in various ways. Like it turns out if we storage that erase file system can disconnect from USB and that seems to help. Uh, and maybe we can do something like that or in introduce delays in a few places that might help. Hmm. All right, that's it. Thanks for digging into that, Dan. Uh, yeah, disappointing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes that's how it goes. All right, Dave P and Fetty 2 are lurking. So uh, let's go to Foamy Guy. Right. Um, for this past week, I worked on implementing the fill row method for uh, the display object in Blinka Display.io, um, as well as making a few tweaks to the bitmap saver library, which I had uh, actually forgotten about until more recently. Um, and I got that uh, with those tweaks and the fill row method. I was able to get the bitmap saving working on uh, Blinka Display.io. Um, and uh, just real quick, I forgot to mention in my hug report section to a hug for Jeff uh, for pointing me in the right direction of that fill row method. So definitely appreciate that. Um, uh, one of the other things I was doing was troubleshooting the issues with the label uh, inside the display text library. Um, so that there's actually two, two sort of uh, threads going on simultaneously. One of them was an issue uh, related to a change that I had made with um, the anchored position and having scaled texts. I had made a fix that allowed that to work with scaled texts, uh, but there was an issue when you went to uh, get the anchored position back out of it um, that was not properly applying the scale. And then the other thing that came along was changing it uh, to not use zero size bitmaps. So those two kind of got uh, rolled into one, uh, but that was one of the things I worked on. And then um, the JSON layout utility, I think I've mentioned that a few uh, times now, I got that working uh, again on uh, Blinka Display.io uh, this week, and I was able to set up a test that will run through all of my example layouts and save a screenshot of each one of them. That way I can look back after the fact and see uh, at a glance what everything is looking like and if I have made any uh, major problems show up with recent changes. Um, and then the last one that I worked on this week was I started making a clone of a old uh, QBasic game called Gorillas. Uh, it's like you have a couple buildings, uh, like a skyline, you get two gorillas on either side and they throw bananas back and forth at each other. Um, so that's mm. been really fun. Um, and then next week, uh, I need to finish up. Uh, I'll probably be working on that later on tonight, finish up the display text um, fix NPR. Um, I want to get the gorillas game working and maybe start in on the LoRa radio uh, portion of that. And then um, lastly, I do want to get back to, or actually, I got two more. Uh, one of them is get back to the, the PyBadger library. I want to add support um, for the Halloween M4 and maybe the um, TFT Gizmo. And then uh, the last one for me this week will be um, working on cleaning up a PR uh, that was a really nice example somebody submitted of storing sensor data in MySQL databases um, on Raspberry Pi. Awesome. Thanks, Foamy Guy. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Higher Effect. Oh, yeah, and his mic is still not working. <laughs> I can see you muting and unmuting, but that's. <laughs> I'll read it off. Um, okay, Higher Effect has in the notes uh, for last week uh, rewriting Pulse.io to use the new timers. Um, debug a HAL issue with the SPY that was causing issues during beginner tutorials, uh, reading about the ESP32-S2, and, uh, but failed to get on WeChat. If anybody knows somebody, that be, that would be handy. 
And if you don't under, uh, let me just expand on that. Uh, it, when you join WeChat, they ask you to verify that you're a real person by having somebody else either like scan a barcode from your phone or uh, adding your phone number. So, um, And that person that adds you has to have been on WeChat for a while. Um, so I'll, I'll uh, ask the person that vouched for me if they can vouch for you too. Um, so yeah, DM me your phone number, Lucien, and I'll, I'll ask uh, Jesse to do it. Okay, um, this week, uh, Lucian is finishing the timer PR. I'm going to poke at rotary IO and get control going with ESP32S2 and also moving to a new apartment. All right, uh, next up, we have Jason P, who's lurking, so I'll read it off. Um, Jason says, uh, board live development for the EF Evo M51 and creating an example for Evo Box, which is an Evo M51 plus an Airlift Featherwing plus Adafruit IO, which sounds super neat. And next up, we have Jeff. Hello again. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I took a break for much of last week. Uh, I did do a couple of things, though, such as reviewing the ESP32 S2 bus IO PR. Uh, this week, I am going to be working on the background tasks, starting with SAMD. As Scott uh, points out, this is one of the major things that is needed for 6.0 so that we don't have a performance regression. Uh, I had some early success with audio today, but it's not reliable. Um, and I really am feeling like I need to understand better the relationship between the DMA, the event system, and the uh, interrupt controller. So if anybody has resources about that for the SAMD51, SAMD54, SAMD21 family, um, please drop some links in chat. I could still use even just a good tutorial introduction because you know, the, the data sheet and register information is great, but if you don't have that overall grasp of how it's supposed to fit together, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, uh, it's not clicking yet. Maybe we should just uh, talk about that in the weeds because I've done a lot um, of that. Sure. Um, I was hoping for something to read because I'm not sure I have the right questions to ask yet, but we can talk about it down in the weeds. Uh, I'll drop it at the end. And if we've got strength left, we can, okay. we can get into it. Uh, for fun stuff, I bought an older HP frequency counter um, on eBay this weekend. It should fill a gap in my test equipment lineup. And I realized I owe a belated hug request to higher effect for reviewing a pull request about pin allocation on the STM it was just a simplification of the code, but I thought it was valuable, and I guess he did as well. So thanks for that. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Next up is Jerry. Hello. Let's see. Uh, so I did some playing around with the ESP32 new stuff. Uh, did a, tried a bunch of uh, I, I squared C sensors and didn't run any problems with any of those. Um, with SPI, things were a little less less clear. Uh, some work fine, like the BME 280, no problem. Um, and then again, in, in working with uh, with back and forth with that anecdote a little bit, finally got uh, the ESP32 SPI on an air an airlift, um, working working uh, as well as it can. There's actually you know some some of the background support isn't isn't complete. The, there's new you know, no UJSON, but that that doesn't matter. But, but I ran into a funny little issue on it that. I, I kind of gave up on, but I'm not sure if it's where where it could be. Just throw it out there for anyone who runs into something similar. 
because the ESP32 is, is big, it won't fit on a standard. Um, there's, there's no room on it if you plug it into a standard breadboard. Right. So I spanned two breadboards trying to, and that, that worked, worked nicely to get me some space. Um, but I found that when I was trying to hook up a, a breakout board to it, an airlift breakout, if I didn't go to the pins right next to the power and ground pins uh, with my jumpers to the breakout, it would it would communicate for some things. But then when I, I and I'm suspicious, you know, in talking with uh, I think it was Mad Bodger on the on the Discord that when it was transmitting Wi-Fi, it would it would fail. Um, it would time out it was, and, and it was really, really strange. If, so if I put it on the pins nearest to power and ground, it worked fine. Hmm. If I tried to put power and ground over to the, the rail side of the, um, the rail pins on the um, breadboard, then it wouldn't work. Hmm. So something picking up noise, it looks like, but, but it's really kind of a bizarre problem. And I don't know if it's SPI related, noise related or where, where to look for it. But I finally gave up uh, mm -hmm. for now. But using a, a feather wing on, on your adapter board worked fine. No problems with that at all. And so, um, and then the other SPI device I tried was an SD card. And there it just keeps saying it can't detect the card. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, tried that a couple of different times. So some, something's not right, but that may not be surprising. There's a lot of stuff going on when it, on the SD card side. Mm -hmm. So I'll try and look at that as time allows. And then I got a little bit back on this. Since Pulse IN is now fixed, um, thanks to the work by Dave P. Um, I uh, was trying to get back to this thing of squeezing the RFM9X build into the CircuitPython build. And I can get it in there if I throw out some core modules like RTC, HID, Touch. Um, I, right now, I took NeoPixel out to make a little more room because I can only build for English right now if I don't take out NeoPixel. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. Still trying to decide the best way to go about this. Um, I was hoping I could take Pulse.io out and use Bitbang, but that doesn't seem to be working. And I'm not quite sure why. That might be worth a little more effort. The whole reason for trying to keep Pulse.io in there is because the DHT sensors are so popular and they don't work mm -hmm. without it. Um, so I don't, I don't see a reason that why Bitbang shouldn't work, but it's not. And yeah, so then the biggest problem I have is I get it working, but then it fails for some of the translations. So I'm still still squeezing. What bitbang are you using for the DHT? Like um, I squared C or? No, it's it's neither. It's just sort of. Are you just bitbanging it yourself? Yeah. So in the if you look in the DHT library, it automatic if Pulse IO is not there, um, it automatically switches over to a, to a bitbang method. Right. Right. Um, which works on the Raspberry Pi. Right. But it doesn't seem to work on the um, M0, or at least not on the on the RFM9X board. So, and yeah. it probably should, I think. So it might be worth spending a little time on. I think it's probably a speed issue. Yeah. Like, because the, the, the problem is, is that you're not clocking the data coming in from the DHT. So, like, it's going to go one speed uh, and you can't slow it down. <laughs> Right, if you miss anything, okay. So yeah. It, it, yeah, it, maybe it isn't, isn't possible, um, or I don't know if there's something to be done to streamline it to make it work. But yeah, I mean that's that's what Pulsin's for. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, yeah. So then it's just a trade-off. Does does Pulse.io require analog? No. It's okay. Just... So the other option is I could take analog I/O out. 
um, which might be a better choice. Again, something's got to go. <laughs> yeah, so, that's gonna be tight. Yeah. So I'll keep I'll keep poking at it. And again, nobody's clamoring for this right now anyway. So <laughs> it's more of a more of a, a you know an exercise in learning. So. Yeah, and it's a good exercise because last time we talked, there was a poten- couple of potential leads on like ways that libraries were taking more memory than than I thought. So right, you could right. discover something that applies across the whole suite of libraries, which would be awesome. All right, keep, keep poking. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry. All right, next up we have Katni. Hello. So last week, I published the 74HC595 guide. Um, that's a IO expander chip and shift register. Um, and the guide shows how to wire it up and use it to control eight LEDs, which is actually a nightmare. So that's why we needed a guide. Um, so that's done. Um, I created a fritzing object for the BH1750, uh, which I did not remember at the time that I wrote the notes. So. Um, I put XX in there, but I just fixed it. Uh, also updated the TPS61023 fritzing and uploaded the PCB files to GitHub. There's no guide for that. It doesn't need one, but the information is available on the product page. So if you need any of that, that's where to look for those. Um, I finished updating the ST combo board guide. We, When the guide was created, the there was a second feather wing that wasn't in the shop, but that went into the shop and now it's added. Um, also corrected an issue with my key of Lime guide. Um, there's nothing like someone translating your guides to find bugs. Uh, so that's um, that's actually been really excellent, though, because this is stuff that nobody's noticed. That was the first guide I wrote, so 2017, and nobody noticed the issue until now, um, which is both good and bad. But it also means that um, bugs and guides are being found uh, while the translations are happening. So that's been excellent. Um, and then I did some PRs, etc., miscellaneous, whatnot. Um, so this week, my priority is to finish writing up a, a document I started that is a guide to running the CircuitPython weekly meeting. Um, Jeff has offered to run the meeting, but I have not completed the um, document. So that is uh, a priority for me. Um, to go through and get that written up. Um, it's got a lot of content already, but there's quite a bit that still needs to go in there, and I want to be able to enable others to run the meeting because um, we would love to have plenty more people running this meeting. Right now it's just Scott and I, um, which has been doable because typically both of us are not gone, um, but there's going to be a time when both of us are gone. So it, it's good to not have a, a point of failure. Um, so the more people we can involve with this, the better. Um, I need to blog up the guide release. Um, I'm going to be working up a welcome blurb for the Adafruit Discord server and set up a welcome screen that shows up when you join. Um, we are having a lot of people join us that are finding us through what's called server discovery, which is not people knowing about Adafruit and then finding the Discord server. It's people punching in DIY or coding or education and finding the Adafruit server and joining and not having any idea what Adafruit is. So we want to have something to point them to and also something that sort of guides people um, to good places to start on the server. Um, 
which is what that welcome screen will be. So we're going to get that set up. Um, I need to update the BMP280 guide. We now have a STEM QT version of the chip. So that will be going in there with new wiring diagrams and that sort of thing so that you know how to use both. Um, I will be updating a uh, CircuitPython servo guide to include Raspberry Pi because, and I may be scooping, but uh, Melissa added PWM to Blinka. So now servos and so on uh, can be used on Raspberry Pi as well using Blinka and CircuitPython. Um, the plan for moving the CircuitPython libraries from master branch to main branch is that we're going to do it slowly um, or not so much slowly, but incrementally. Um, so hopefully the first one will get moved this week and then I will be updating the contributing to Git and GitHub guide to reference main and also explain how to change your branch locally um, so that you're pushing to main and so on and so forth, um, which will also be good for people contributing to CircuitPython because we've already made the switch. So the plan is this week I want to get that guide updated um, so we can start to make that change. I would I would like to see that made sooner rather than later, um, but it has been requested that it be done incrementally. So I want to get that started. Um, there's some prerequisites needed to get our PyPI download stats going again that I need to do, which is making accounts and that sort of thing um, so we can get that going. I uh, want to try and do that this week. And then I have some stuff that's uh, been assigned to me on GitHub, um, some issues that uh, I need to fix up, um, but I haven't actually gone through them. I just know that they're there. I saw the emails go by. So I need to check my assigned GitHub issues. Um, and that's what I'll be doing this week. Awesome. Thank you, Katni. All right, next we have text from Kinger North who says, uh, last week worked on another episode of my YouTube live stream of microcontrollers with Kinger North and com commissioned a production line PLC for a local packaging company. Uh, this week, working on the next live stream content and working on a new water handling program PLC for the same local packaging company. Awesome. And Kinger North, you should link to your YouTube live stream. That would be awesome. Um, next up, we have Maker Melissa. Uh, hello. Last week, I made some fixes to the Blinka Display I.O. library that sped it up significantly. I ported several examples to the Blinka PyPortal library and made several improvements and fixes along the way. I started a guide on using uh, Blinka PyPortal and Blinka Display I.O. I implemented PWM out in Blinka, so now we have Pulse with modulation and the reason i did that is so i could add the full brightness and backlight control to blink display io uh this week i'm going to finish up that guide i am going to take a closer look at why some uh, an ink example is failing on the m0 running in arduino and hopefully i'll add some more features to blink display io and that's it awesome thanks melissa Okay, Mark and Mr. Certainly are lurking, so let's go to Stargirl. Hi, folks. Um, I wrote up a blog post about how to get base shifted PWM outputs from the SAMD21. Um, it's pretty interesting if you want to know how the internals of the SAMD21 work, because there's quite a few things involved in making that happen, but hmm. it's pretty neat. Um, 
Relatedly, I started working on a new URAC module that unfortunately won't run CircuitPython, but it'll use the SAMD21. So um, I will be using lots of information and code that I learned from CircuitPython mm -hmm. to make that work. I'm still sorting out move stuff, but I finally have a move date, and I'll be moving from Seattle to Atlanta on August 5th. So that'll be fun. Just and that's it. Month. Awesome. Yeah. Th thank you, Stargirl. All right, and that is it for status updates. Uh, lastly, we have the in the weeds section, uh, which is, oh, that's not the right time. Uh, when we get a chance to just talk about any other discussion points that we want to have uh, more in depth, that's why we put them at the end. And uh, first up, we have a topic from Dan. So um, I've discussed this with a few people in text, but I just want to follow up on things. I I'd like to know if you use CircuitPython on boards on Linux, could be um, Intel architecture Linux, or it could be uh, Raspberry Pi or something else. And if you have seen plugging in or unplugging or resetting or doing something on your Linux board that causes the host computer to crash. So Jerry, I have seen it when I reset the file system and sometimes just when I plug in. Um, Jerry, you said that um, you've seen it when the board is plugged in for a while and then you just unplug the board, is that correct? That's correct. Um, only on Linux. It hasn't happened on Raspberry Pi. And um, was it after a time when you might have been changing the file system, like you wrote a file, and then you unplugged it very soon after that? Um, yeah, I've done. There have also been times that I just I've just tried just plugging a board in and just plugging and unplugging it a few times, and it will it will kill it without. But I, without I'm really it. interested in the unplug. Right. No, I'm, but I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't, and I, I thought it required, you know, starting the REPL or something like that, but I, but I don't believe so. I mean, you know, just, just plugging it in, waiting a while and unplugging it. It always, always fails on unplug, but I don't necessarily have to do anything to the board to trigger it. So you unplug and then you leave it unplugged and then it crashes. Okay. That's what it's that immediate. Really uh, when you, it's, it's instantaneous. When you unplug, basically you don't get, you don't he, normally you hear a little, a little sound from the computer when it, when it, yeah. you know, it, you don't hear that. And the, the screen is frozen. The computer is totally frozen. I have to power cycle it. Right. So this might be based on the small dialogue that I had on the Linux USB mailing list. It might be due to the, file system in the USB driver code saying, oh no, the device has gone away. Now they're supposed to tolerate that because people can unplug their flash drives. Right. It might be something because it's FAT12 or something. So I'll, I will try to replicate. What is that. it? You know, it, for a while when it, you know, I first started noticing it and it, it's funny, it, it certainly is happening a lot. I've done this, doing this for years on plugging boards from there. Right. Dan? So, Dan? Yeah, but it just occurred to me uh, maybe it's not in the USB system where oh. where well, the other place that you might want to to uh, think about is the hot there is a separate hot plug subsystem in Linux and if the, that that's you might be getting a failure there too. Right. Well, I I just I just want to try to find a reproduced case. So Jerry, could you right. can you sorry, you you yeah, one of the things I was going to suggest is that 
it started when I started playing with the with the Sayola feather adapters when I started noticing it quite regularly. So I thought, oh, maybe it's got something to do with the SP32 or that. But it, it's happened to me also uh, with with a, an M0 board the other day. So it, it's certainly not limited to that. I and wonder if it's your Mac Mini that's running Linux, old Mac Mini that's running right, Linux. Right, it's old Mac Mini running Linux. Um, right. But I wondered if it, if it's possible, and I haven't been brave enough to try this yet, if it had anything to do with just, you know, with a power, you know, with, with, with shorting pins when you're, if you're not plugging the thing, you know, pulling the thing out straight. And I thought about just hooking up a USB breakout and trying shorting pins and seeing if, if that. Yeah, I don't think that would be okay. the issue, but, um, but thank you. Right. Does, does anybody else, has anybody else noticed this problem? That's what I want to know. I've had it in the chat. Dan, I've yeah. had it. I've had it with a. Uh, I've had it with my between my Raspberry Pi and my uh, and my Circuit Playground. And is it when you yeah. plug it in or unplug it? When I unplug it, you unplug yeah. it and it crashes without first disconnect. Yeah, without first uh, Un unmounting. Unmounting it. Great, thank you. That's another. You're right. This makes me. That's why. That's that's yeah. why I'm sort of suspicious. Of, that's why I'm sort of suspicious of the USB hot plug, the hot plug system, the hot plug system also besides right. the USB. Right. Well, the person on who, who was on the mailing list said that um, it was. They, they've tried to prevent that problem, but it's since they probably don't have many FAT12 drives. That's what I'm going to. I'm going to test this. All right, thank you. Any and anybody else? Otherwise, we can move on. I have something else that I I, I wrote down, but I I don't have it immediately. I'll 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 get in contact with you uh, through through Discord thank later you. later okay. on. All right, all right. I'm all done now. All thank right. You. All right. Next up, we have Jerry. Yeah, and I apologize for bringing this up again, but I, I can't remember <laughs> what the resolution was. Mm -hmm. You know, we have now we have a you know a 4.x, a 5.x, and soon to be a 6.x bundle release. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, they are actually identical. So I I can't remember why we do this. Um, They're not always identical. Are, are well, are they? Are there actually any differences? Well, not in these current ones, but if we pull in new MicroPython and the version changes, then they won't be the same. If the only the only thing that'll change will be if the MPY format changes, right? Correct. Yeah, Suppose and that hasn't happened in yeah. 2.x. So I'm just wondering is should we just tie it, you know, only build new dual versions when we're supporting two versions of MPY format rather than every time we do a new release? That's all. It just I didn't seems want like I didn't want to have to convey another versioning scheme to people. Yeah. So you wouldn't want to like name it like the four X dash five X bundle or something or, like that. Or yeah, or yeah, or yeah, I don't know. It it just seems like there's a lot of churning going on. I, I see on Discord people saying, Oh, I gotta update all my libraries because I'm going from four, you know, five three to from five to six or four to five. Hmm. And that really is irrelevant. <laughs> Except typically People need to update their libraries in general, like, yeah. so it's not necessarily a bad thing. I understand where you're coming from with it, but we want people to be running the latest libraries regardless. And like Scott was saying, right. trying to convey another versioning scheme is not the greatest. 
Well, what? I think that's, I guess I think it would be simpler to, to get people to run the, the latest libraries by only having one. Um, and like I said, if and when we update MicroPython, I guess looking at the notes from the latest MicroPython, there probably will be a format change coming in Correct. the next. So, but again, and that's going to be a big breaking issue for people. Yeah. So, but it, you know, so, and is that going to be seven when we do that? That's my assumption. Yes. Yeah. Or it'll be a major change, release change. So there yeah, it makes yeah. sense maybe to do it, to do a, a, you know, a pre seven and a, and a seven. I, I, it just seems like having, I don't know, a, an awful lot of, I guess I see on, on discord often people say, oh, you know, it must be broken because I'm using the 4.x library rather than the 5.x library. And they go, they spend a bunch of time uploading mm -hmm. it or changing it. And that this, you know, seems to me. Well, <laughs> question for me is, is what happens, what happens when you, uh, you, you fix and you fix a, a a thing uh, in the library in a library, just as the major number changes. Now, now you got every you, time the library is built, it, it regenerates all the all the all the all the right. MPYs. Generate the, all the MPYs, right? Right. Like right. the actual version number of the bundle itself is the date. Right. Right. And then, then we're trying to teach people to just match up with the version of CircuitPython they're using. And, and we've talked about going to some different bundling schemes where people have a you know a drag and drop choice of, of what what they want. And again, I, I don't you know it seems, well, you, know, I, you don't need to. Uh, I, I've said enough on it. You know, it just seems to me like we're got an awful lot of unnecessary. Well, CircuitPython.org does that. You, you have a drop down. Right, but there's a four and a five and a six. So there's gonna be a six and they're and they're identical. That's a, that that's what I guess right, right. makes me yeah. seem seems unnecessary to me. <laughs> it seems unnecessary because you know they're identical. But not, the well, they're not always going to be. We know that. Yeah. I'm into it already. I I I people have asked me, you know. Do I really need to change library bundles? And my response, my my response, my response has to be: Yeah, I always say, match the version of the library to the version of the of the bundle. You know, in other words, a certain bundle is matched with a certain version of circuit Python. version right. of my, and my point is that that's actually a red herring it has nothing to do with it the, the problems they're trying to fix so well right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that 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 like having two versions essentially in the file name is confusing but i think if you think to this world where i think we all agree we want to go of like dynamically generated bundles like you're gonna have to have a flag of like what version of circuit python are you Right, like we're not going to add a flag for what MPY version are you uh, to that generator thing. Mm -mm. Um, that, no, would... that, that makes it, that that actually makes sense, and and yeah, uh, that that's fine. Um, right. So uh, yeah, I yeah. To me, it's like an implementation be, detail. There could be there could be one bundle called four five six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I could look at that. 
Well, I mean, so, yeah. so the, the, the version of MPY cross that we actually build against does change, right? Like that's the way it works is that we have a name for like four dot X and then we also give it like a tag, I think. Um, but I'll, I'll remove four X when I add six. So it, it's only ever going to be two versions. That's fine. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Scott. Yes. Uh, why can't you just uh, why can't you just use an eight? Uh, when the solution for that um, one for one bundle for multiple versions of Python, why can't you just alias it when that situation comes up? I mean, people are still gonna like you're gonna alias it even if it, it even if the zip file is the same. Like you're gonna just have three ways of downloading the same thing like that's essentially what we have already basically that that's what we have already ready except you have do you have what i don't understand is what it seems to me is to me is you're discussing the fact that you have a bundle for four a bundle for five and a bundle for six well no we have bundles for four and five and i'm going to remove four when we add six yeah, okay. So five, you have a bundle for five and six. They happen to be exactly the same. Right. So why couldn't you just say have one one bundle and give it two different names? And That's you know, essentially what uh, we have now. That's like I think what Jerry's saying is that like people are doing extra steps that are unnecessary thinking that they're gonna get something different when they're not. Mm. Right? Like if you gave them literally the same zip file but through two download links, like that doesn't help anything. That's just well, exactly it, it, what yeah, we have now. When somebody's troubleshooting and they say, "Oh, I'll 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 change from the five x to the six x version, uh, or four x to the five x in the past," and it right. doesn't. And, and if that works, we have a different problem. <laughs> yeah, but in some cases it will work, right? Like yeah, in the but case of pain, seven. You know, in other words, if you go from uh, if you change it. As you go from five to six, then it might work unintentionally. Yeah. You know, well, again, you there's pretending to do it. That if changing from the, from the five x version to the six x version change makes it work, then there's something else wrong. That they pro they probably got a different version of the bundle then, like a different right, or or a corrupted file or something. But the right. the point is, the wrong problem was fixed. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I think um, I understand where you're coming from, Jerry. I just think that it's going to be the easiest to convey to people to tie it to the major version number. I promise never to bring it up again. <laughs> no, it's fine. Like it's good to rethink or question these sorts of things. Um, That's okay. Thanks. All right, let's keep going. Uh, thanks, Jerry. All right. Uh, how how's our our tanks here? Do we have uh, enough? Uh, in the tank to talk some event system stuff, Jeff? Um, sure. Uh, I don't have anything that's um, running me out the door. So okay. if you have time to kind of background me. Um, so kind of, I don't, I, I see that, for instance, the DMA module can directly create an interrupt when mm -hmm. it's done. But there's also the event system, and the event system can create an interrupt. So. Right. One question I have is around um, why would I be choosing to use one interrupt or the other? 
Mm -hmm. And then just kind of the, the other thing that's vexing me is um, that I'm just not getting the details right around, um, you know, in the past, I finished playing an audio file and then there was a time when the audio file wasn't playing and then something about the interrupt is not working. And that's kind of the point at which I'm stuck and spinning a little bit, but I hmm. don't have the code in front of me and I don't know that I can ask the right question about it. Yeah, so um, I thought this was this would be good to talk about now simply because we have other people listening in and because we're sure. recording it. Um, the first thing I would say is I really think about the event system as just like interrupts, except interrupts are a special case where they go to the CPU, where the event system just allows you to connect basically wires or signals from one peripheral to another peripheral. Um, but essentially, they're the same thing of like, I'm I'm a particular like spy peripheral or a DMA peripheral, and I need to tell somebody else within the chip that like this event happened. And like, mm -hmm. I'm picturing my mind, like literally just a wire, right? Like going from one end to the other end. Um, although the event system is like a mux between all of those things. So you can connect one thing to many things. Um, and... So I think they're pretty similar, but the, the, I think the thing that you're alluding to is the idea that um, the event system itself can generate... So the event system in terms of like the actual MUX matrix peripheral can also do edge detection and therefore generate interrupts to the CPU. And from what I've seen, you usually don't need to use that because there's also matching interrupts that go... like Again, I think of them as wires from the peripheral to the CPU, like the, the NVIC, right? The nested vector interrupt controller in the CPU is where that wire goes. Um, but I think what you're hitting is, I think I found a case where D there's a DMA signal that is not exposed as an interrupt. It's only expect exposed as an event. And I wanted to handle that event on the CPU. So I had to kind of go sideways and go through the event system detect when it happens and generate an interrupt based on it um, is I think where, where the confusion is, is coming from. Does that sound right? Um, well, I know that with the state of the code now is that it does look at the uh, event system to see whether it needs to refill the audio buffers and it doesn't look at the DMA. Uh, I don't understand it well enough to know if that was necessary, but if you say it was, then I will put that down on my list of facts. <laughs> I mean, so the, yeah. So the reason that I, the, the way that I remember it working is, so the DAC has a, like an incoming signal to the DAC that can say, okay, put out, put out a new sample. Mm -hmm. And so for the given sample rate that you want to output, you have to have a timer that's generating an event between the timer and the DAC to say, hey, give me a new sample, right? So for CD audio quality, that's 44.1 thousand times a second. The signal goes mm -hmm. from the timer to the DAC. And the DAC can then take... So the DAC has a buffer, right? So it, it knows the next value. Right, of just um, one sample. Of just one sample. So when that next value gets sent to the current value based on the timer, then... 
there's a si signal out of the DAC that can say, hey, now my like next buffer is empty. That signal goes to the DMA, and the DMA copies the next value from memory into that next position. And that's a case where you definitely don't want to involve the CPU. Right. That's the thing that's like going to make your audio sound bad if you miss it. Mm -hmm. um, but then the DMA itself only has so many values that you've queued up. Right. right. So the way that it's set up is it's it's a double buffer. So there's like two arrays of 256 values or something. And the idea being that when you finish a set of 256, you can load a new 256 in its place. And I think that's called, it's either a burst or a block of DMA. But basically you want to know, like the DMA is set up to just swap between two buffers continuously. Mm -hmm. And there's a signal from the DMA that says, hey, I'm done with one of these two buffers. And that's when you need to interrupt the CPU to, uh, to, to update that 256 list that you're no longer using. Yeah. Uh, right. And so uh, go ahead. Can I usually, usually, usually all of the, uh, that signaling that you're talking about, uh, you know, is basically there are two two t situations there. You've got one where where the sample sample is finished, and one where the block is finished. Because I always I always remember the remember the rule because. Back back in the old back in the old days, we used to have uh, the 8080 and the Z80. We used to have a dedicated DMA uh, DMA controller mm -hmm. chip, and you'd right. set that up to you tell it how big a block is, how big a block is, and how many how many blocks are you going to have queued up. Right, and, and it should be able to ignore the CPU until all those both of those blocks are gone and then you queue up the next you you move you basically move the dma pointer and then it goes on to the next batch right so the the reason that we don't do that is that we would have to have the entire sample in memory in that case ouch yeah okay so, so we're only double buffering so that like when when one of those buffers empties you trigger the CPU and then you you cue the audio stack that Jeff's done a lot of awesome work on that like will decode the next chunk of MP3 or load from the file system the next ch chunk of the wave file. Um, yeah, that's why you need the CPU involved. But it is really you know it, it is important to think like in the same way that you used to have a separate IC for DMA control like that's essentially what we have within the SAMDs. It's just on the same chip now. Yeah, um, right. That's what that's what I was. That was the assumption I was making. Uh, that yeah. was the assumption I was making when I said what I said. Yeah, you were doing. You could do the same thing we used to do, right. only it would all be in one one physical chip instead of spread out all over the 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 uh, right. spread over the uh, peripheral boards. Yeah. So the yeah the challenge the challenge that means that we can't just like we just don't want to load the whole sample into memory before we get going. Um, we kind of want to do it on demand instead to like minimize the memory overhead. Yeah, yeah. because uh, I mean you you uh, you're doing it at forty one forty four thousand one hundred samples. Sam, uh, 
uh, ideally, 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 which yeah, eh, not quite, but close enough. But I'm always amazed at how these uh, how these audio devices do what they do. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say about that one. Uh, that's just going back to to the real old days. <laughs> All right, Jeff, what do you so, think? Right, so in the main branch of CircuitPython, we are looking at the event system every time we run background tasks and polling that flag to see if there's work to be done. Mm -hmm. And so my goal is to um, essentially remove as much of the polling nature as I can from the background task by having an interrupt occur that actually does interrupt the CPU right. and set a flag. Mm -hmm. And so the specific place where I'm stuck is um, that that flag yeah. setting and, and that gets into, you know, what is in my particular uncommitted um, mm -hmm. code. Do you have any advice on where to, where to look, where, where is the light good for debugging those kinds of problems? Uh, can you recap what it was? I think Charles interrupted you and I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's fine. I think I missed the like key phrase that you said about what the bug was. Um, right. So, um, the, the code comes up and it will play one MP3 file just fine. Okay. Um, and then it goes into a state where the, you know, the audio object is still around, but there's nothing playing on it. Then when mm -hmm. I go to play the next MP3 file, um, the interrupt never newly occurs. So it's mm. I think it's a problem around the fact that these interrupts are edge triggered. Okay. But I'm just in, I, I'm a little stuck. In the interrupt handler, are you clearing the interrupt bit? In the interrupt handler, am I clearing the interrupt bit? No, uh, I wait until I actually handle, uh, until I actually enter the background task to do it, um, which is maybe a poor idea. That's definitely something that I yeah. can look at. I don't think you usually want to do that because you, you can get your, if you're actually enabling the NVIC to interrupt the CPU, you mm -hmm. can get into like an interrupt loop where you never get out of the interrupt. Yeah. Um, and usually there's two places, there's two places that you have to worry about. There's both, um, the NVIC, like the CPU side of what interrupts are pending. And then there's the like peripheral side of like, what interrupts am I sending out? Um, and I think mm -hmm. the NVIC, the NVIC is cleared by default if it actually calls your handler. Um, okay. but you have to set, you have to clear the peripheral side still. Um, so in that case, would that be clearing the event right. uh, system or the, um, DMA system or it's both? the event? It's the event. I think it's the event system. So and, yeah, good. Well, I don't know if it's an exact parallel, but like for for STM32, there's usually a bit in the control register for a peripheral that, that 
basically determines whether the inner app gets set or not, and you have to clear it manually. Um, right. So, yeah, I don't know if that's that that carries over. I think I think it's pretty similar on IMX as well. So I don't know if that carries over to Sandy. The the uh, what is it? The NVIC I think is kind of common to ARM, right. but the right. way right. the individual peripherals work is not. So yeah. some of that's definitely going to transfer over, and some is probably. This is just the way it's done on hardware generally, but it's from, stuff that's newer to me, and I'm not as conversant with it. So. From what? Right. Yeah, this from, is specifically not the NVIC. This was this is yeah, like okay. this, the control register for the timer peripheral across those two steps, which it might be the you know sounds like it's the same. Yeah. From what I've seen on the peripheral side, and I know Sandy best, so it's probably there, but there's usually three registers for int. There's int flag which is the one that you can use to read whether the interrupt is active. And then you can write it with a one and that will clear it. There's also int clear, int uh, enable clear and int enable set, I think, um, which are the two that say, do these interrupts get sent to the NVIC or not? Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that is, is because especially on the SAMD 21, um, there may be like four interrupts that can trigger in the peripheral, but there's only one wire between the NVIC and the and the peripheral itself. So they get like squished together into one signal. And that's why you right. have this. Like, yeah, I saw that for event system on the 51, there is an event for, there is an event interrupt for uh, like the first zero through three. And then there's like four through 31 is all one interrupt. Right, and I'm like going, "What?" <laughs> and that's yeah. also the same with SDM. Be because the whole goal is to know quickly exactly which peripheral it is you need to service, and if it's like, "Oh, it's one of four through thirty-one," oh well, I guess we'll just check all of them. Right, so that's where you have but to go, go to the interrupter and say, "Like, okay, which one is it?" Because it could be multiple yeah. as well. It could be multiple, <laughs> and so I mean, that's not even the level that of the problem that I'm working on yet. That's down the road. That's just something that I was seeing from the data sheet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it would also be fun. It's it's fun stuff to work on. I think, and I think it's super powerful because it's really where, like. We get criticism for CircuitPython not being concurrent, but like this is where you can get true concurrency, right? Like moving things off the CPU entirely is like really true concurrency in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's definitely new to think about and kind of hard to understand the machinery that's happening outside of the CPU, but the payoff is really big because it's um it's not it's not on the CPU. Now, there's a whole issue with memory bus contention, which is fascinating as well. Um, like, if USB and DMA need to read from memory at the same time, <laughs> like, how does that work? Um, so, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I know. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's who gets there first situation. But it's uh, yeah. not. Right? It's not uh, usually. Uh, usually, there's usually there's a quality service settings that you can have for re uh, memory access. Oh, okay. So you can say that like the CPU, like you can say the CPU needs it immediately. The USB needs it at this 
quality service level and stuff. It's yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, <laughs> I go back to the old day. I my mind keeps going back to the old days with it was very simple. The D right. DMA controller was hooked up to a pick, the pick, <laughs> and the pick decided what priority each interrupt had. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, that's dynamic. That's dynamic in ARM as well. Mm. Uh, interrupt priority. Okay. That's definitely uh, the weeds of the weeds. Yeah. All right. Um, if I'm still feeling stuck, can we talk about this later in the week, uh, totally. Scott? Maybe just totally. one on one. All right. That would yep. be great. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. It was actually feeling like more like like deep dive stream material. <laughs> so <laughs> at some point, I'm gonna have like guests on that to be like, okay, let's get in the weeds for two hours and and poke at this stuff. So. All um, right, I can be third on your list. One thing that's interesting. I don't know who the first two are. You have to find them. Um, one thing actually that's that I think I did experiment with with the event system is you can plug like event outputs to GPIO through the event system, so you can actually have like the GP a G GPIO setup to change values with events happening. So if you want to be able to like logic analyze when events happen, you can you can actually like have that tie 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 gpio outputs to events yeah i did manage to do that successfully with uh when i was analyzing playback mm -hmm. stuff so uh, i will try to remember that that is a facility that available yeah can it can be helpful if if you're worried about timing like figuring out like how long it takes you to actually service it and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was very much the question I was trying to answer um, at that time. Awesome. Well, keep it up, Jeff. Uh, thanks for getting in those weeds. All right. Uh, I'll keep and, learning. And good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining this Circuit Python Weekly for Ju Ju July, not June, uh, July 6, 2020. I'm Scott, and I work for Adafruit. Uh, if you want to support Adafruit and CircuitPython, uh, please go to adafruit.com and purchase uh, stuff from there. Uh, ideally, stuff that runs CircuitPython, because uh, at least in this meeting, we're all biased towards that. Uh, but anything helps. And uh, this meeting is recorded. It'll go up on youtube.com slash Adafruit. It'll also be featured in the CircuitPython or Python for Microcontrollers newsletter that goes out Tuesday mornings um, and that Anne orchestrates. Uh, so if you want to sign up for that, you can go to adafruitdaily.com and check the Python for Microcontrollers box there. Um, this meeting happens every week at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Adafruit Discord server, which you can join by going to adafru.it slash discord. And with that, I think I covered everything. I think next week we're normal time. So uh, join the CircuitPythonistas role on Discord by asking one of us to add you. We'll uh, you'll get pinged when we post the note stock up for next week. And besides that, I hope you all have a good week and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank Thanks you, Scott. Everyone.